Isn't it good when you make mistakes? I love it. Father, we want to thank you for just being a family. And Lord, the fun things that we go through. And Lord, we know there's tough times too. But Father, we thank you that you're in the midst of all that we go through. Lord, that there's nothing that we experience that you don't know about. And that your power and your grace and your strength and your mercy is not there with us as we go through. And Father, even when we go through the fire or we go through the waters, Lord God, you are there. You sustain us. You lift us up. You give us what we need for that moment and that day to get through. And we thank you, God, that we never do these things alone. And Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for its great wisdom, its direction. It is really a light to our, our path, Lord God. Father, it gives us so much of an awareness of what you want for us and the blessings and the instruction. And we thank you, Lord, that we've got that compass to guide us. But Lord, more than that, we thank you for your spirit that indwells us. The Lord, you, you come and you impart to us. You give us wisdom. You give us understanding. And Lord, we pray today that as we open your word, the Father, you would give us revelation that can come from you alone. The Father, as, as we look at, at, at knowledge and concepts and understanding, Lord God, we know that you are the author and the originator of all these things. And Father, we pray that you would birth into us Impart to us, Father, something rich and meaningful today. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have a Bible with you, we're going to continue looking through Ephesians today. You can look on the screen, but I'm going to read just a little bit before that from verse 11. A great passage of Scripture. Ephesians chapter 1, starting at verse 11. In him we were also chosen having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart might be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms far above all rule and authority, power and dominion and every title that can be given, not only in the present age but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be the head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. We've been looking at the book of Ephesians and it really is a book that has lots of layers to it. It's a bit like an onion. You just keep taking layers off and layers off and layers off. There's an incredible rich meaning in it. And it really is a book where when we can grasp what it has in it, 
it takes us to a greater de- depth and, and, and relationship with God. There's so much embedded in this scripture. It's, it's like a pearl. It's a great literary, literary prize. It's just been beautifully written. And it's like Paul uses all these superlatives, all these big words, because he just can't describe with language how incredible God is and, and how marvelous what it is that God has given us. And he's trying to get us and the Ephesian church to grab hold of what God has done. And not only what he's done, but what he wants us to do with what he's done. And, and he's sort of in this prayer, he's praying that we would grasp a deeper awareness, a deeper meaning of the things that God has installed for us. And so if we can appropriate those things, it takes us into a deeper dimension with God in terms of knowing the riches of our inheritance, knowing the hope that we have in our lives and knowing the power that God has given to us. I wonder if you remember this guy. Anybody remember him? There's some people in your life that have a great impact. Now, I've never met him, but I remember him running that marathon from Sydney to Melbourne, and it struck me what an incredible will this man had. Did he run it in gumboots the first time? He did, didn't he? No, that's, that's a painful exercise. Um, he's a dairy farmer, right? Is that right? Is he a dairy farmer? Dairy farming does funny things to people, doesn't it, Phil? Hey? <laughs> To run from Sydney to Melbourne in your gumboots, you've got to question the man's, uh, whether he's got all the bricks in the, in the house. But, but what a great test of will to do something like that. And the, the book of Ephesians is really talking about God's will. We talk about people when they have a, a strong will, that they have a plan to do something, but they also have the determination to get it done. It's one thing to say, I'm going to run from Sydney to Melbourne. It's another thing to actually get it done. You've got to have a a strong willpower, like an iron will. And as we read through that first part of Ephesians, it's saying that God has a will and a purpose. And if God wills something to happen, nothing's going to stop it. It's going to happen regardless. God has the most incredible set will that there is. You can't change it. So if God determined to predestine you and I to be part of his family, nothing's going to stop it. If God predestined for a time to come in human history when he would graft the Gentiles or or the non-Jews into his plan, nothing was going to stop that. And we get this sense of God having a definite plan to do something, but also having the power to make that plan happen. So when we look through the book of Ephesians as an overall arching theme, there's two things. God has a plan, but he also has the power to do it. Oh, Cliffy Young, got to love him. So when we look at this verse that we've read this morning, verse 11 through to 23, it's really asking two questions. How do I become part of the purposes of God? And then how do I find the power to fulfill those purposes? There's two ways. How do I become part of God's purposes? Through preaching. You had to hear the gospel message. You had to hear the, the message of God's plan, and then you had to respond to it. But it came through preaching. Now, I don't mean this dynamic where someone in church was preaching. I just mean sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. It can happen in a workplace. can happen over a coffee with friends. It can happen anywhere, but it's sharing the message. And unless that message gets shared, people don't hear the gospel and cannot respond. That's God's will and purpose that we, in our 
sphere of influence in our daily lives, we share the hope of Jesus Christ. And that will never be redundant. That will always be part of God's plan that we share and we share and we share and we share and we share. That doesn't mean everyone responds. But the happy day that we experience, we want to give that away. And so our lives are lived out in this, in this dynamic where I hope we want to share the good news of Jesus Christ because it's so special and it's changed us. But then the question is really, well, how do I fulfill those purposes of God? How do I get hold of the things that God has given to me to be able to live that life and live it with power and not look back? And the way to do that, and the only one way to do that, is through prayer. And that's why Paul came to a point in this letter where he said, I pray for you guys, and I pray for you all the time. In fact, verse when you go into chapter 3, he says, I never stop praying for the Ephesian church. And he goes on to say, I want you to grasp, grasp this and grasp that, because if you get a hold of it, you'll never turn back. Your Christianity won't be wishy-washy. It'll be full-on and dynamic for God. And God's master plan was to have a universe that is Christian, right? And on earth, you've probably seen people try to start a Christian community, you know, buy some land, put a whole lot of Christian families together and create this beautiful, harm, harmonious dynamic. But God's plan's bigger than that. You know, sometimes people want to have a Christian nation like the United States started off on the foundations of having a nation that honoured God. But God's plan is bigger than a Christian nation. He doesn't just want a Christian world. He wants a Christian universe. And that's his will and that's his purpose and it's going to happen and there's nothing that you and I can stop that. But we can recognise that we're part of that great hope. We're part of that great plan. That our inheritance is going to be a universe that is Christian, that is harmonious and beautiful. And God's will is going to get completed. We can't ever deny that. And so we've got to either submit to God's plan and be part of it or stay out of it. And when Paul is writing this, he starts off by saying, In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with his purpose of his will, in order that we who were the first to hope in Christ. And when Paul gets to that point, he's talking about the Jewish people. Because the Jewish people were the first to hope in Christ. They, they pinned their hope on him. The apostles were all Jewish, okay? So they were the first people to, to take the step of faith and to trust that Jesus was the King of kings and Lord of lords. And it was through their preaching, even though they got scattered by persecution, it was them sharing the message that the Gentiles began to get saved. And that spread and that spread and that spread. And then Paul goes on to say, and you also were included in Christ. He's now talking to the Ephesians who are non-Jews and saying, the Jews started it, but you reaped the blessing because they, they shared, they encouraged you in the faith and you responded. And we get this beautiful picture of God's will, the Jewish people, the Gentile people coming together in God's incredible master plan. And we are the recipients of that will and purpose. So Paul goes on and he wants to highlight three things here. He said, firstly, you heard the word. When you heard the word of the truth, the gospel of your salvation. Like I said, we've got to be opening our mouths. We've got to share our faith. 
It's the only way people are going to respond. In these days with modern media, there's all sorts of ways we can share our faith through YouTube, through Twitter, through all those sorts of things. Like the social network has radically changed the way people can respond to God. We started the church in September. We've had nearly 4,000 hits on our website. Now, that's just a communication dynamic we never had prior to, you know, a few years ago. I remember when I first started work, emails didn't exist. You know, we used to actually use the phone and talk to people. But, you know, the world of communication is changing, but the sense of a global village has really come of age. And so we're able to share the gospel much better than we used to. I think in the time that I've started preaching until now, 1,200 people have been saved somewhere in the world. Every 20 minutes, that's how fast the Christian faith is growing. And we're part of that. So Paul's saying, firstly, people have got to hear. Then they've got to believe. Okay, they've got to respond to that message. Just because we share the message doesn't mean people are are automatically going to have a heart change. But if God's will and purpose is for that person to get saved and you're the person that God wants to intersect with them and share the message, then we need to be obedient. And that person will come if God has called them. No man can come to the Father but through the Son. And the Gospels tell us that no man can come to the Father unless the Father draws them. He has a plan and a will and a purpose. And we never know what part we are to play in that plan. But we need to be sensitive to God and obedient to what he's asked us to do. And then the third thing Paul is saying here is that we need to be sealed by the Holy Spirit. When Paul was writing this to the Ephesians, they understood what he meant by a seal. Because in those days, everybody that had money would wear like a signet ring that was very personal to them. And so if I went to the marketplace and I bought a vase, I would stamp my ownership of that vase by melting some wax onto the vase and putting my signet ring into it. And then it would be my mark or my seal that I own that vase. Now, I might not take it straight away, I might go away and get my horse or something and come back, but it, it sealed it as mine. It marked it. It branded it that it belonged to Mark Wilson. And what Paul's saying is that God has branded every one of us. He has marked us with a seal of ownership that cannot be taken away. It's God's claim to us that you are no longer yours, you are mine. I bought you with a price. You are my treasured possession. And so we wear that mark and we wear that seal in the spiritual realm that we're, we're designed by God to be his. And he's chosen us and he's marked us with a seal that sets us apart from every other person on the face of the planet. God has bought us. We are his possession. But it's not just a mark to say that, that I am God's. It's also a guarantee that what God owns, I now own. It's my inheritance. It's a mark. It's a seal that I have the right to take what is God's and use it as my own because we have become one. So not only am I marked, I also have everything that is God's is now mine to use as my own. Now, I, I know we understand that here. I get that. I know people read the Bible and they say, yep, I have an inheritance in Christ. I know the day will come when I die and I will go to heaven I'll walk the streets of gold. God's prepared a mansion for me. I know that you know that here. But Paul's not talking about knowledge that is cerebral. He's talking about something that happens in our hearts 
that brings an awakening or a revelation where we know that in the now, in this life. And what it does is it changes the dynamic of how we live because it's not waiting for a day when we step into our inheritance. It's claiming the inheritance now and drawing on those heavenly things in this realm so that we can be more effective and more dynamic for God. And Paul understood that. And as he was writing to the Ephesians, he was trying to say, I wish you could get this. I so wish you could get this because if you do, your Christian life will never be the same. It will just go like when you turn it. You ever driven a car that has a turbo or a power band on a bike? And you're driving along on a bike and suddenly the power band comes on and the back wheel goes up. Yeah, a bit more. Yeah, no, no sound effects, sorry. But, but you get the point. Or you put your foot down and the car kicks into that, you know, drops back a gear and off you go. Not that any of us would speed because we're law-abiding citizens. But it has that dynamic. It's not saying that we're not saved. It's not saying that we're not walking with God. It's saying that there's, there's a deeper place that God wants to take us to in our faith. And, and it's an awareness that comes from God inside out. It's not by me teaching concepts and you learning the concept and then doing it. It's actually God revealing it. It comes from him inside out and it changes the way that we live. So we've been sealed. That's the sort of picture of a document with a seal on it. So what Paul's saying to the Ephesians here is as he, as he writes to them, he's saying, for this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love for the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. So he's saying, I know you understand faith. I know you've reached back to the, the cross of Christ and you've taken a step of faith and you've believed in the Lord Jesus Christ and you're living for him. I know you've done that. And he's saying, I know that you love one another. I know you recognize that dimension of the Christian faith. But then he goes on to say, but I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray also that your, the eyes of your heart may enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. Remember in scripture, faith, hope and love. They had faith, they had love, but something was missing in the hope factor of their outlook of God. It was like they were living for the now, living for the moment. There wasn't a sense of what was coming and what was theirs already now because of the inheritance of God. And Paul was trying to get them to increase their hope. Because if you don't have a hope of what is to come, if you're not hoping in the things that are already yours, you're stuck with a very narrow vision. You're living for today and for the moment. And Paul was trying to say, no, enlarge your vision. Stretch your arms out and grab a bigger perspective of God and what God has given to you. I want you to imagine that this little cord here is your life, okay? Okay, imagine that this is a, a 5,000 metre roll of rope and it just, we can roll it out over across the oval, around the oval, out to the car park, right around, just keep going and it never ends, right? If I pull that out, we're going to have trouble, don't we? So this is your life. It starts here and this is eternity. It starts here and it goes on and on and on and on and on and we're just living for this part, okay? 
And in this part, we're hoping that somewhere about here I might get to retire and have these great earthly riches for, what, 20 years? And then, oh, do you see the stupidity of the way that we can live our lives? If that's our focus, when this is the focus, really, it's both end and it's drawing all this back into here and saying, hang on a minute, I can live my life totally differently in this 70, 80 years of life, knowing what is mine down here and what has already been given to me now to take hold of that inheritance. Let me give you an example. Cheryl and I bought a house last week, a huge step of faith for us. But I went to my mum and dad and said, mum and dad, can I please have some of my inheritance now? And so my mum and dad agreed to give me some of my inheritance now so we could buy the house. So they have blessed me in the now. But I also know when they die that I will get an inheritance that is greater. But it's still blessing and it's still now and mine to enjoy. And that's what Paul's trying to get the Ephesians to understand. He wants the eyes of their heart enlightened. That's a really weird statement. Okay, I've seen a few hearts on a, on a dissecting table. I didn't find any eyeballs. Okay? So it's quite a strange statement, isn't it? Your heart does not have eyes as in 2020 vision. But your heart, what Paul's trying to say is the inner being of, of the, the person that you are, the spirit that is in you, has the capacity to see not just the natural realm, but to embrace and see the spiritual realm. And Paul's trying to get that, that dimension of spiritual awakening to come alive. And he uses the words, the spirit of revelation and the spirit of wisdom. So when we understand something, we can embrace it. But if we don't understand, we have no awareness of how to live that life. And Paul's saying, God wants to reveal something to your inner man. He wants the eyes of your heart to see things that it has never seen before. And what does he want you to see? He wants you to see the hope to which he has called you, the riches of your inheritance in the saints, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. Three things he wants us to see. If you don't have hope, your spiritual vision is like having blinkers on a horse. You only see so much. And God is wanting to tear those blinkers apart and reveal to you depth upon depth upon depth upon depth of the wisdom and the makeup and the chemistry of the spiritual realm. Okay? And it's not about age. And it's not about knowledge, okay? You know, there's lots of people that spend their whole life in theological college trying to gather knowledge, okay? And you can ask them verse and chapter and history and all those sorts of things, but the eyes of their heart are not enlightened. So it's not a matter of gaining information. It's about revelation that God gives us that allows us to see. And you can be very simple in your understanding of Scripture, yet have great eyes of enlightenment in your heart because you're sensitive to allowing God to open those things. 
Now, I could preach till I'm purple in the face and teach you everything that I know. It wouldn't mean that the eyes of your heart are enlightened because it's not a human thing to enable that to happen. It's a divine thing. That's why Paul says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give to you. I can't give it to you. It can only come from God as we seek. Now, if Paul says, I keep asking, I keep asking, I keep asking, I keep asking, what he's really saying is there's no end to that process. You don't get a revelation and say, oh, I know everything now. Paul's saying it goes on and it goes on and it goes on and it goes on. And we should be asking all the time, God, give me more. Give me more, more revelation, more understanding. So I know and understand the spiritual realm. I understand the ways and the purposes of God. Like, like David used to say, Lord, show me your ways that I may walk with you. And you might be able to quote the whole Bible off the top of your head, but that doesn't mean you walk in intimacy with God doesn't mean you understand what God wants you to do minute by minute, day by day, week by week. There's an awareness that comes as we, as, we, as we press into God and say, God, I don't know enough. Teach me more. Reveal it to me. Open the eyes of my heart. You know, that's the song we sing. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. What are we saying? Get the pastor to preach a good message that makes me feel good and we go home satisfied? No. It's saying, God, I'm recognizing that there's a dimension to faith where which you unlock a key to my life and deep awareness happens. And so Paul was praying and praying and praying, so much so that when we get to chapter 3, he does it again. For this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom the whole family in heaven and earth has derived its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. It's not an intellectual exercise. It's a spiritual exercise where we say, God, Strip away the ignorance, strip away the things that keep me locked into the natural realm and open up my understanding and eyes of my heart to see what you see and to understand what you understand and to flow with you. That's what he's trying to get us to do, to have that door unlocked. And he's praying for the Ephesians. Now, the Ephesians, if you know anything about Ephesus, it was a tough place to be a Christian. There was a lot of spiritual warfare. There was a lot of worship of foreign gods. And as, a, as an atmosphere, it would have been very electric spiritually. And what Paul wanted them to do was fight in the spiritual realm against the things that they saw in the natural realm. But you cannot fight a, 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 a spiritual battle with natural things. You've got to sp fight a spiritual battle with spiritual weapons. And that's what Paul was wanting us to understand and the Ephesian church to understand is we have this whole wealth, this, this arsenal of stuff, power, faith, weapons of warfare that aren't carnal, but they're mighty in God for pulling down strongholds and advancing the kingdom of God. And you were saying, you guys don't understand what you've got. You're shooting little Nerf guns at the enemy when you should have the big bazookas out. 
like, like he was trying to get them not not to patronize them, but just to get them to understand there's this whole realm of faith and life in the spirit that is yours. All God needs to do is open the eyes of your heart to know that it's there and to grasp how wide and how deep this love is that God has with us. Love that surpasses knowledge. It's so rich for us what God wants and this power. There's one thing I wish I could do that God would give me a little magic wand and I could walk around and say, Mark, this is how much power God has given you. Boom. And suddenly he would know. Because if he knew how much power God had given him, his life would never be the same. None of our lives would be. That's the point. The same power that God exerted in raising Jesus from the dead is his, is yours, is mine to use. But there's something in our psyche that goes, don't compute. Don't quite get that. You know what I mean? Like we know it. I know you know it. I know you could tell me the verse in the chapter, but it's living the dynamic out of saying nothing is impossible for God. And if God says nothing's impossible for him and then he hands that mandate to you and says nothing's impossible for you, we go, thank you, God. Thank you. It's nice to know. But it's not the knowing. It's the living it out. There's this magical step that has to happen between knowing and moving. Isn't that right? Absolutely. Thanks, Linda. So, the spirit of wisdom and the spirit of revelation. For this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power in your inner being, in the eyes of your heart, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and I pray that you, put your name in there, and I pray that Mark, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all God's holy saints to grasp how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. What an incredible verse. Okay? Not a little tin cup, not a 375 mil, not a one litre bottle, full and overflowing to the measure of the fullness of God. That's what he wants 
for us. So how do we get from knowing here to opening here? That's the question. Pray and ask God. God, give me that spirit of wisdom. Give me that spirit of revelation. Take away everything that might make me go blind or have, you know, vision that's blurred in sense of my life and my destiny and my purpose. Lord, give me 2020 spiritual vision. Okay, so that, you know, we talked about an eagle. When I go fishing up in Queensland on the beach and you catch a little fish that isn't that big, if you throw it behind you on the beach within a minute, a seahawk will spot it and it will come down and it will swoop down. It has incredible vision. We should be those sorts of people, okay, to know the times that we live in and to discern what God wants us to do and be able to move with power and authority and change the world that we live in. So this morning, we're going to do something a little bit different. I've asked a few people to come and pray this morning. And we're going to come, and what I'm going to ask you to do is come and get your communion and to stand with one of those couples or those people, and they're going to pray that prayer over you. Okay? They're going to pray that God's going to touch your heart and open the eyes of your understanding. They're actually going to pray that scripture over you. It's incredibly powerful. So as you come and take your communion, we're just going to have a quiet time where that happens. The couples are going to spread around. You can go and just stand with them and they'll lay hands on you and they'll pray for you. And uh, just we want to bless you. But I believe this, Paul was saying, there's an impartation that happens when we pray this. We're inviting God to do something. Okay, And Paul was saying, I'm praying all the time, God, do that for the Ephesians, do that for the Ephesians. And we're just saying, God, do that for us. Open us up, give us eyes that see beyond the natural, see the deep things of God and move in that awareness. So the guys that I've asked to pray, could you come up and take your spot, please? There's another communion table over here, so guys, you can move up over there. Nikki and Brett, can I get you guys to pray? And Philip and Kathy, you guys too, would you do that? So come up, grab your communion, and go and stand with someone that you feel comfortable with, and they're going to pray with you, and then come and sit down. Just take your time, just keep your eye on who's been prayed for. We really want everyone to have this opportunity for some prayer. you're visiting just we won't be doing anything spooky
God speaking to you, feel free. 